<laughs> okay, here we go. Greatest thumb in milk. Ladies and gentlemen. I like, I like how you got oh You like it? One of the best sips of coffee I've ever had. It's good, right? Hold <laughs> it. Now that, what we just heard, that's the sound of a satisfied, for, that's a, that's a unadulterated audio of um, a man, my friend Ryan, drinking Grady's with almond milk for the first time. It's powerful stuff. Yeah. Can't fake that. You absolutely cannot. Um, he bought it, I think, just at a bodega in Brooklyn, and uh, we were just sitting outside there, and he, he tried it. But uh, since then, he's become a convert and uh, frequently texts me um, pictures of jugs of Grady's he's bought in different flavors, including, I think, hazelnut, and uh, mm. is now ordering straight from the source. So, Amen. I feel like there is sort of a brotherhood and sisterhood of people who have been turned on to Grady's by you, Winston. And I'm yeah. a, a proud member me too and us yeah yeah i think of it as but us you were now. the you like now it's us but you were the one who was responsible for bringing us in uh well anyway it doesn't matter grady's finds its way it doesn't need me it doesn't need us it'll it'll find it we're just we're helpers we're conduits of some sort my mom bought a grady's t-shirt that's huge you can get that all yeah at uh dot com. uh you can get we're still all rocking the um, Grady's cold brew kit. I just brewed up a fresh. I'm going through it fast, but um, you know I'm a freak. But I just brewed up some last night. Um, you know, you get a cold brew kit. It comes with a bunch of bags, instructions for how to brew it. Um, it'll last you quite a while. You guys are still going with it, right? I've actually reached the end of mine, and I'm just buying Grady's bottles from my lo- local supermarket until it's time to... I need to re-up a, a big online order. Yeah. Yeah, anyway, so you can do that, Grady'sColdBrew.com. Uh, you can get jugs there. You can get a box. If you enter the code LATEERA20, you can get 20% off your first order if you live in the United States. We love you, Grady's. We love you, Grady's. Thank you, Grady's. Andy? Uh, we love you, Grady's. Thank you. I woke up without Grady's in my house the other day, and it was nightmarish having to brew my own, my own pot of coffee in the morning. It was yesterday, and yeah. it, was, it was so much harder to get out of bed than it usually is. If you're good into Grady's, you'll never have to you. brew anything ever again, except yep. Grady's. Okay, let's get into it. Is it time? It's time. Mm. It's like a wide open horizon. Anything is possible, including the flute. I feel like I'm levitating. At first, you're like you two, and then the flute comes in. And... You are listening to a very special late breaking episode of Late Era podcast where we talk about. The strange, overlooked, underappreciated, and sometimes just plain inadvisable late career albums by classic musicians. 
Do we, uh, do we give Jethro Tull the designation as a classic musician, a classic band? We'll, we'll cede that to Sam and say yes. We're talking about jtull.com, which is to date the last album of uh, original songs by Jethro Tull, the classic, I guess. We're going to call him that UK sort of prog folk flute rock band. And uh, this was an album that was came out sort of in conjunction with the launch of their official website, hence the name. It's an amazing document of its era, as well as just like a deeply strange artifact and piece of music. When we first came up with the idea for the podcast, there were a few different ways that we were conceptualizing what we wanted to do. But I remember one that we talked about was like, Let's have a podcast where we can do an episode about jtel.com. It was right. one of the first things Here we talked we about. Yeah. 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 And we brainstormed a lot of different ideas for a podcast that could eventually let us discuss about discuss this record. We thought, should we do a podcast on albums named after websites? Thought there weren't enough. You know, a podcast on albums from the year 1999. Yeah. As it turns out, this was the only good album released that year. <laughs> yeah. So, Pot- a pod we, we we batted around the idea of a podcast about albums that have paintings by the leader of the band of nude uh technological demons on the cover right oh, but grady said they wouldn't sponsor that exactly. so that was too, out well, too i i actually sponsors. remember a conversation with us or maybe with somebody else about what is another band like obviously uh, if you're listening to this you know that we are also the host of Welcome to Chicago, the premier podcast about the band before in Chicago. I was saying if there's ever a band that would be weird enough uh, and have so so many kind of shifts in style over the decades and just really strange stuff to get into, it would be be Jethro Tull. But, you know, it's not the name of a city. It doesn't have the same ring to the, the podcast title, but... I do think that was how at least you and I first came across the existence of jtall.com, Winston. I think it stemmed from a conversation of what would a sequel podcast to, to Welcome to Chicago look like. And there's another reason why it stuck with us, but maybe we should introduce why that album is st- stuck with us and why I think about it almost every week, but maybe we should introduce ourselves first. Of course, yeah. So, hello everyone. If you don't know me by now, I'm Andy Cush bass player in Garcia Peoples, contributing editor at Pitchfork, all-around nice fella, so I'm told. My name is Winston Cook-Wilson, and Andy is a nice fella. I make music uh, in the band Office Culture and as Winston C.W., and uh, I'm a co-host of this podcast, and welcome to Chicago. Hey, everyone. My name is Sam Sadomsky. I am a writer, a podcaster, musician, guitarist vegetarian friend workout enthusiast mm. uh, director producer whoa, whoa, uh, i wear whoa. many hats what's that director yeah it's still it's in production what i'm working on but it's definitely it's taking a lot of uh, headspace for me and what i think you're really gonna like it when you see it so thanks so much um excited for this episode um okay you are aware of many hats and also aware of many shirts including very cool Kenny Chesney shirt you're rocking right now. Oh, And yeah, also, thanks. one of the earliest taping sessions for Late Era, as I recall, you were wearing a Jethro Tull shirt. 
Yeah, that was an early quarantine purchase for me. That's mm-hmm. their um, Too Old to Rock and Roll, Too Young to Die shirt, which fit, fits the theme of the podcast. Quickly, before we move on, Sam, I'm not sure what you're talking about with the director thing, but if you could forward that contract to all of us to make sure there's not a conflict of interest type situation <laughs> involved, that would be uh, really helpful. Thanks. Just want to just want to get that out of the way before we move on. In the blood pact that we made with each other over late era, I do recall some uh, non compete clauses that were like written in. I just want to say one: you don't own me. Two: the very idea of being owned and what freedom really means is central motif of the film project I'm working on. So <laughs> I hope that resonates with you when you do see it, and I think it will be in theaters. There's definite language about you not using your uh, exemplary physique as a way of exploiting yeah. your position. Fun fact, I didn't even say I'm starring in the film, which I am, but just based on the way I look, that's going to be a huge part of it, and I'm not going to transform for the role, and I'm not going to cover myself in CGI. This is a real movie. I'm very inspired by Cinema Verite, if you've God. ever heard of it. Well, you always say I'm very inspired by Cinema Verite. This is the first time you've said it about it's actual It's because cinema. I am. You say it at dinner sometimes. We can talk about this off the record, but I'm extremely inspired by Cinema Verite, and I can't wait for you guys to see the project I'm working on. Okay. If there's okay. anything that uh, anyone knows about Sam, if you know one thing about him, it's like, oh, Sam's a guy who's extremely inspired. I cinema like verite. cinema verite. <laughs> okay. okay. Wow. Let me get back to what we're talking So before we introduced ourselves, I said there's a reason why this album is such a big part of our lives and why I think about it every week, and that is because it has a naked ram with, a, with its dong hanging out on the cover yeah and it's holding a glowing orb you can find versions of the cover art online that are dongless also yeah we at some point someone made the decision to make that the cover art and then at another point someone was like this is too this is too nasty right it's like the the demon playing the flute i think he is yeah almost definitely i'm not even looking at it and i (laughs) (laughs) It, it's similar to the Black Crows cover, where the it's like the just the shot of the woman's bikini bottom, and there's pubic hair, and then they edited out the pubic hair. It's like that. Yeah, not ringing any bells, perv. <laughs> you don't fuck with the crows, dude. I'm looking at the album cover right now on Google Images, and on the front there is a comparatively tasteful rendition of the nude dong demon uh, where he's sort of sitting on his knees with his legs spread and there's a little bit of genitalia um kind of emerging from the type at the bottom of the title but if and he has no flute that's the most important part Mm. On the back, <laughs> Dick flute. there is a not, none not, in the traditional sense. Not exactly. <laughs> there is another image of the same demon in a ring of fire. There's a huge sort of old English but cyber techno-y bit of text that says jtoll.com. The O of dot is a flame, and emerging from that ring of fire is once again our friend, <laughs> the demon. He is nude once again. Uh, his dick is really just on full display uh, in this iteration, and he is sort of sassily playing the flute as well. Damn, what a okay. description. What, what reason do we have to believe that he's a demon? I'd like to talk he's about that. He's got red eyes. 
I feel like there's a strong iconographical history of sort of rams being associated with like Baphomet. Or is that that's a goat, I guess? Yeah, it's a goat. You know, we probably look like demons to people from his dimension. That's That's true. Interesting. That's a good point. Well, I'm just. I noticed that he has. He has like human feet as opposed to cloven hooves. Exactly. So that's something. He's he's our our inner selves in the digital age, perhaps. What one thing? I, well, we should, that's our episode. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> exactly. Well, one thing we should say is about this also is that we teased this in the trailer that that we were gonna do this album in the trailer for this podcast, and I believe the way that we framed it was, this album is a concept album about Jethro Tull's website, which is. Uh, just categorically untrue. Um, so yeah, we made that up. Um, which which is interesting. Wh- why exactly it's called jtoll.com, given that like there's goofy '90s topics and uh, certain musical flourishes that are specific to the time, but it feels like it's almost getting away from like the synthesizer-based technological music that they were like derided for making in a lot a lot in the 80s and experimented with here and there so it's actually not a super technified album except for some some modern lyrical references which we'll get into in the course of the thing which i wish they had committed to more fully yeah, i think like we the all first three it. songs on the album or so have this really to me kind of cool effect of like almost like sci-fi of the present sort of thing where he's just like describing really normal kind of like freeways and offices and like flying on a plane but it's like heightened in a way that makes it sort of uncanny and i was like wow i really love the lyrical world of this album and then eventually it just feels like he kind of starts singing about mangoes and being an old man yeah, she I, sort of drops the thread. I was into it too because you know Andy and I were recently talking about the Matrix trilogy, and I went and watched yes. the original Matrix recently, and uh, there were some in those first three songs. I was thinking about sort of Keanu, aka at that point Mr. Anderson in his office building, and some other evocative images of the of the time period. But that's for a separate podcast I'm working on, which I'll about the Matrix stuff, which I'll send over to you guys, but. Is that contract. true? Is, you're working on another podcast right now? I'll send you the contract. Okay? I've gone... I've had it... I now, But now you have the fucking whatever movie shit you're starring in, which is unbelievable, and now I have to take it back to the lawyer, compare it to your movie. Anyway, let's move Look, on. Look, I don't want to get too into this. I mean, podcasting with you guys is a lot of fun, and podcasting is obviously blowing up right now. But movies is a whole nother thing, and that's kind of where I see things really going. So. I don't see them that I don't see them that differently. I see the next step for us being movies and TV, and I think that all art forms are the same at this point. Well, that much we agree on okay. in terms of what my next step is. So let's just <laughs> keep moving. All right. Anyway, how we get to jtoll.com being a comeback album and all the phases, I want to kind of lay that out. And I and there's only one toll expert among us, which is Sam. But so we'll get we'll get a run through there but first um we should probably uh do the impression segment which i don't feel as prepared for as nor you know i usually workshop those uh-huh. for a long time but since this is kind of a rush episode it's not exactly where i might want it to be but it is very topical Can- which is cool for us so 
yes. episode of Late Era that's going to engage with um, some recent Late Era news. I think it's it's it fits with the topic of this program well. So I'm going to kick it off with this impression and see if you guys can guess what it is. Let's hear it. Well, it's a marvelous night to get COVID. <laughs> Pull that mask down that's under your eyes. It sounds so familiar. I know. It's like on the tip of my tongue. Maybe if you do a few more There bars. you go. There you go. Standing six feet away now. Not paying money for my shows. Showing pictures I'm on so the close. zoo. Oh, uh, Noel, Noel Gallagher? No. Because there was like a whole COVID thing he was in the news for. No, no, no. This is, but it's good. Um, it's good because the, the, the reasoning for this impression also is that we're going to be talking a lot of, about a lot of Briti- extremely oh, okay. British bullshit throughout this whole episode. So it is a Brit. Um, <clears throat> let's see what else I could do. That's most of the material I had prepared. <laughs> Burned through well, all that. We're no closer to getting. <laughs> I was nervous. No, I was nervous to get. I was out. thinking Tom Hanks, but then when you said a Brit, I'm like, is Tom Hanks British? Exactly. I don't think he is. I think that's a really convincing American accent and big. Uh, this man is a, a lot of has a lot of soul to him. Um, mm-hmm. Otis Redding. Is he British? Uh, <laughs> wait, hold on. I'm trying to think of how does Jackie Wilson said go. I have no idea who this could possibly be. <laughs> Anthony Fauci. Okay, so it's Van Morrison. It's Van oh. Morrison. Very good. Very good, Sam. And why yeah. would we be talking about Van Morrison and COVID? Because Van Morrison just released a song called... Born, Born to, to be, be Free. free. Yeah. And it's all about how he thinks that COVID is a scam... He really doesn't sing about COVID per se in the song. It's the first but song of a it, trilogy, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm hoping he wrote three songs about it. <laughs> I'm hoping that he gets more heavily into like specific references to Anthony Fauci and stuff in yeah. the upcoming installments of the trilogy. His objection he he is upset with the um dictates of governments against um his ability to have full on concerts. They're uh he wants to secure his bag by uh, super spreading. And uh, there's some interesting... And more power to him. Yes. And there's been a lot of out- <laughs> earnest outrage about this, uh, but I cannot help but think of it as insanely funny. For some reason, anything Van Morrison does, uh, it's been decades of him being a hilarious, grumpy asshole, and I don't know why we'd expect anything else from him. This seems like a logical conclusion to me yeah. yeah or evolution I, he's i don't think he's anywhere near done no um but in terms of the amount of music he puts out this is really a particularly beautifully half-assed song and recording yeah sounds like a karaoke track Computer play moon dance type shit. Well, well, the birds in the trees <laughs> know something we can't see. Okay, so far it's okay. We were born to be free. Birds don't, don't have to wear masks. The government cramping my style. 
Give them a crumping my stuff. They take a mile. Take you in with a phony smile. Wouldn't you agree? The new normal is not normal. It's no kind of normal at all. Oh, I agree with that. Everyone seems to have amnesia. Just trying to remember the Berlin Wall. Okay, hold on. Let's pause this. Some kind of new old ideology. This is another one of those instances that I just really feel bad for the backup singers who were hired for this session, having to sing along to Van Morrison's idiotic anti-COVID mask-wearing lyrics. And you know they weren't wearing masks in the studio. Mm-hmm. Very true. Like, yeah. Take it off. <laughs> <laughs> they're all, they're all dead now. What it, uh, what 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 are people forgetting about the Berlin Wall? Like, what is the? Well, end? I think I don't I don't totally get the reference, but maybe he's just saying it's like um, his like people's understanding of history doesn't go back very far, and it's like people are dumb, and he's what? like, I've lived through some shit. What's the lyric just about that example? Wall? Everyone seems to have amnesia. They can't even remember what happened at the Berlin Wall or something like that. I gotta Maybe. imagine it's something about mask wearing being like a communist plot or something mm. like that. I mean, maybe we're just proving his point. Exactly. <laughs> because this is the problem with the reference. world. What's the Berlin Wall again? <laughs> yeah. I know I've heard of it. Uh, I'm on TikTok and I can't remember the Berlin Wall. <laughs> they don't even have a Yeah. I don't Is the Berlin Wall made of memes? Yeah, we're 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 the problem in Van Morrison's eye. That's just I'm a fan, so I'm sad to you know. Anyway, just some great late era you know, great late era move. It's true, yeah. I hope that he is like out there closing his sets at his non-socially distanced <laughs> concerts. <laughs> no, I don't song. think Van Morrison has added a new song to his set list since like 1978. <laughs> uh, I when I saw him, he did like so. My partner Gabby is a big fan of certain 90s Van Morrison albums, and there were songs that she knew from like his 90s gospel period when when we saw him a couple years mm-hmm. ago. So. He changed it up a little bit. Right, so the nineties. Yeah, he hasn't added a new song to his set list since the (laughs) nineties. Since he was a Christian, since super Christian. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Um, I just bought an eighties Van Morrison uh, album along with an eighties Joni Mitchell album on a very fruitful record store run uh, the other day, just in case anyone thinks we're not out here living the late era lifestyle like we talk it every single day. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's good to check in with our with our figurehead. So um, while we haven't done a Van episode yet, that's only because there are way too many choices of records, and we're still deliberating. But rest assured, one day you'll get it. Um, yeah, he's the one we've talked about the most, and are I feel like very certain we want to do one of his albums at some point, but have no. It's so hard to commit to one. Right. Yeah, maybe we can open it up to listeners to vote on which one they think would be the most interesting to discuss because i have some idea. ideas yeah yeah get in the comments on, Maybe the on twitter with that. one where he's got like a ventriloquist dummy on his knee uh, on the cover the prophet speaks the prophet speaks yeah 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 we gotta do this now fine we've been talking about it for so long and now it's time to really get into jtold.com um but sam tell us a little bit about about how we get here um 
similar to Chicago, who we do the other podcast about, this is a band that has had immense longevity through the decades, including, like Chicago, commercial success in, in both the 70s and 80s primarily, and like a big string of top five and some number one albums in the 70s. So there's a lot that we could talk about, but we just got to kind of, you know, get up to the current moment here. Yeah, so I'm I'm going to do a slightly quicker version of this than we usually do, and I'm going to try to summarize it succinctly. Uh, and so Jethro Tull starts late 60s. When they begin, they're basically a kind of hard rock, blues, very blues-influenced band with some folk um, influences in there. And a lot of that sound is because of Ian Anderson, who is the vocalist. Um, he is not a guitar player. He plays guitar, but then he sees Eric Clapton play guitar and thinks, I'll never be as good as him, which, fun fact, is also why I got into music criticism. Uh, <laughs> and <laughs> so he picks up the flute, which, is he the best flautist on earth? No, but who's his competition? There really isn't a rock band with prominent loudest as the front person so that's kind of his thing as Jethro Tull continues through the late 60s early 70s they sort of lean closer to that folk influence a fun fact is that Black Sabbath's Tony Iommi was an original member in the band Mm -hmm. Uh, a guy who you could um, convincingly argue is like the forefather of metal at least a lot of you know, what we call metal today. But he leaves the band and Jethro Tull kind of moves away from that Sabbath adjacent sound towards records that have more of a Ren Fair kind of vibe, which allows them to sort of be lumped in with a group of prog rock bands that Jethro Tull never really ideologically was aligned with, but because their music, you know, was kind of loud, but it also had these gentler folk um, sounds and because because of the flute their arrangements were just more interesting than a lot of what was on the radio they're kind of considered that way so you get Aqualung which is this huge commercial breakthrough it's probably the catchiest Jethro Tull album and then they follow it with Thick as a Brick which is their masterpiece um, And but it's basically a concept album making fun of Prague and how conceptual and humorless a lot of those records were Unfortunately, that's lost on a lot of people who just think it's another humorless prog concept album. And from there, Jethro Tull kind of survives, loses members, shapeshifts. Um, they make some folksier stuff, like Songs from the Wood, which is a cool album. They make some heavier stuff. In the 80s, they experiment with synths. They hilariously beat Metallica for a metal Grammy. Um, and yeah, what uh, what Metallica album were they up against? Do you I think know, it's the top yeah, of I think it's Injustice for All. Uh, it wow. was eighty nine. That that, that's funny. the first time I ever heard of Jethro Tull. I think was um, like watching VH1 or like some MTV, you know, history of music, and that was like you know such a devastating event in rock history on those shows. So that's the probably the first time I ever heard any of. Jethro Tull like knowingly it's also just one of those hilarious things where it's like you can't even be mad at it 
because it's just to me at least so funny and it's like the, the album they won for is basically their version of a Dire Straits album it's just like not metal at all it's called Crest of a Knave like it's very just like opposite of what metal was in the late 80s but yeah um, did, does that sound about right? yeah and then we have the 90s which I don't know what even not much goes on they kind of work around to doing these this really low stakes music that's like jtoll.com I guess which is like some mixture of the things that people associate with Jethro Toll in kind of a mediocre yeah I mean well the other thing is right he lost his his voice sort of his vocal he had throat surgery and his um yeah vocal i actually thought that was overstated in the things i read about it i thought his voice sounded fine on a lot of the record no i i I did too but my the funny part about that historically is this idea that he like relearned the the flute or practiced the flute extra hard so he could be like sicker on the flute to make up for the fact that for that his voice wasn't what it was which i thought was pretty cool right i mean he's really some pretty impressive food solos on this album I mean the first the first notes of the album we could we could maybe play that that's a that's how you know this is gonna be some sick flute shit. Robert Criscow reviewed Thick as a Brick at the time and called it the usual shit, <laughs> and he wrote, "The rock is getting heavier, the folk is getting fair, the classical is getting schlockier, the flute is getting better because it has no choice." <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's true. Yeah, they were a big punching bag for critics for a lot of their career. Yeah. Worth noting. Like Chicago. Drop us in with that flute hit at the beginning, though. Oh, yeah. It's tasty as hell. Right off the bat, I put this on and I'm like, uh oh. You know what I mean? For me, this is. I love the like. I love the articulation of the beginning of each phrase. Well, I mean, do do we like flute in general as an instrument in rock music? Uh, I like it um, in in jazz sometimes what's other an example of good herbie man yeah herbie man um hubert laws there that yeah i I could get into some flute Um, i uh, sorry go ahead no no i i don't feel like i'm inherently opposed to flute in rock music but i do like a lot of things about well i like some things about this album but one thing that I don't like is the pairing of the flute with the like super sort of canned like boss metal zone 80s metal guitar and the way that it's like when when the album is mixed so that the flute cuts through like so much more than this like guitar sound that's supposed to be like huge and heavy it makes the guitar sound so rinky dink and small that it's like sort of under the flute like I really I really don't like the way the flute and the guitar sound together on this album yeah I'll second that and I also think that's like something that crops up on pretty much every Jethro Tull album after that initial run 
is just like they have a hard time balancing it the right way yeah yeah or like knowing just in general how to mix how to make the instruments sound like they're in the in in like some similar world that when i was going back and listening to some 80s stuff it was just like this is it's like the bigness and the intimacy the like acoustic elements of this they just don't square up at all like i don't know what kind of space musical space i'm i'm intended to be in it's like anti-mood music like um, yeah, I was thinking this is something that's come up in our conversations about albums in the past, but the sound of this record reminds me of like the band in high school that like was able to record at a pro studio, you know, yeah. of just like all the instruments sound like good, quote mm-hmm. unquote, but there's like no sense at all of like the way of there's like no thought given to like the way they are all, all interacting together and like what the world that they're making together is. It's yeah, just like, that's so true. The, and so it just ends up feeling kind of f- flat and lifeless. Yeah. I mean, and it makes me feel bad. Cause I'm like Jethro Tull, you guys are like legends. You have several staples of classic rock radio that like everyone knows. And like, it makes me sad that they're like working with some like third rate engineer who like doesn't know how to make a record sound good mm. like you know 30 years into their career yeah i don't i hear this and i don't think like oh this is sad for jethro toll i just think like uh, damn i think jethro toll sucks <laughs> <laughs> which is i'm sorry that's just what i that's what i i don't have i try to tear down my aesthetic biases one methodically and get to the get to the root of them and pull those roots out and replant something where they used to be you know that's something i pride myself on but there's something with toll it's like a roadblock to me generally which is why i'm glad we're doing this episode and why sam can kind of like speak to his feelings on them and and on this album because i know you were saying that you there are parts of this that you like and um i'm just curious sort of your metric for even judging a Jethro Tull album. That's what I'm struggling with, I think, mm-hmm. listening to a lot yeah, of Yeah, that's Tull a good today. question. I mean, I think sense of humor is pretty crucial to Tull, to, like, getting into it. But I also just think, like, sometimes it's just, like, like cool riffs. Uh, there's, like, a uh, kind of, like, escapist mood to it. I feel like I'm really put on the spot after that because i mean I, I should also full disclosure i don't love jethro toll like i'm not coming into this the way i am like in a neil episode where i'm like you know uh, this was my first time listening to this album so i don't want to give off the impression that you know i'm coming here like talking about my favorite band sorry you know. sorry a- andy might be a secret toll head in a way that i don't even know about hey, he called him a, a classic band just a moment exactly ago. Well, I said they had several staples of classic rock radio, <laughs> which is a very narrow and true <laughs> statement about that. Yeah, I guess and that's true. I mean, I, I like them well enough. I never had like 
I'd never have owned one of their albums. But I do think I would zero in on a specific thing that Sam said, as for me, pretty much the whole appeal of like, this album is the first album of Tulls I've ever listened to all the way through, which is cool riffs. Like, they just have some, there's some, there's some stinky riffs on here too, but there's a few moments where I'm like, stinky. all right, this is cool. Do I wish that a flute wasn't doubling the guitar? Maybe, you know, maybe it would have sounded better if it was just a guitar or something like that. But uh, the, the, the riff writing is cool. Some of the parts are neat. Like, they're, I appreciate on this record, like, say what you will about it, but it, it's not, like, phoned in. Like, the, the compositions are, like, extremely intricate. Like, they're really clearly like a lot of time was spent thinking them over and, and sort of perfecting little twists and turns and stuff. I really can't get into Ian Anderson's late career vocal style mm -hmm. at all. Uh, but the, the music I'm like, I don't know. There's parts of it that are, that are cool to me in the same way that like, I don't know. It reminds me, it sort of reminds me of like tool or something <laughs> where I'm like, all right, that was a cool riff. The guy, the guy who's singing on top of it is like completely alienating to me. Well, here's but, another thing that like Jethro Tull was kind of good at that a lot of their contemporaries weren't, which was like having catchy songs. Like Aqualung was a hit because you could like literally, you know, it's like, -na 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 -na. like it's a good riff. Yeah. But you know, you don't necessarily like have that in a lot of 70s prog, yeah. you know, and I think that it's something that he was um, relatively good at compared to other people, but I don't think it's something that he was able to make last. Like, I wouldn't call him a melodically gifted songwriter, especially after a certain point in his career when the blues influence kind of dissipates and he starts, you know, kind of wandering into the margins, but it's a good point. Locomotive breath is good. Yeah. Bungle in the jungle. I don't... Yeah, no, I mean, their greatest hits record is probably all you really need from this band. There's, like, a lot of a lot of hits on it. I, I was definitely fascinated just, like, independently of the late 90s paranoia elements in the first few songs and also some of the funny old guy lyrics later on. There's a song called uh, Wicked Windows that's supposedly about his reading glasses. Although I took it to mean oh, also like screens, like Wicked Windows mm -hmm. being mm -hmm. like Black Mirror, like the phrase. Should we like, put that one on? Uh, yeah, but I was just going to say in general, uh, like breaking down his poetic style, it's very kind of bizarre and like... Um, obli I don't know, really playing with words. I can't really think of like... It's very like limericky, not limericky. Uh, I, I, I don't know. Just free associative in a way that's just really yeah. playing with the sound of words and, yeah, just kind of interesting. Yeah, there's there's a your comment reminds me of like the song, mango, Fl hot mango flush, mm. uh, which, which is, is like else. just a really bizarre piece of music and he's doing this kind of like observing of like the people in society around him or something. And I know at one point, at one point he's like big bursting bellies bulging out of shirts or something like that. It, it does right, have right, that right. sort of limerick sensibility to it. I was going to say, we could just start with the song that kind of inspired us to do, or like, you know, the, maybe the thesis statement of this as, as we kind of thought of it, the song dot com, 
Sure. Which is the only exact internet song on here. Definitely been practicing. This is what we call Eastern music. Eastern music about the internet. It's a wide world out there, so much wider than imagined. I can't quite put my finger on the pulse. I'm basically not opposed to it until he starts singing. Just beneath the Russell sheen that reflects the tints of autumn from the hills. So punch my name. And in case you wonder, I'll be yours. Yours.com. Pretty tight. Uh, this song's pretty tight. What does that mean, I'll be yours.com? I don't know. It's poet. It's poetry, Andy. I don't know. There's parts of the wasteland I don't I couldn't tell you what they're about. Yeah, I was also going to direct you toward the wasteland oh, to answer right. that question. That's essential context I should have thought about. Maybe it's more yeah. proof rock. He's more of a J. Alfred proof rock type. Anderson. Yeah. I mean, I think like melodically, it's actually one of the catchier songs on it, which I don't know For if that's sure. saying much. It's one of the top two or three songs on the album i think yeah i don't know if i like the chorus seems resonant and like somewhat catchy to me because i spent some time editing it into the trailer of our podcast when we first did it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's like oh right this part i remember this i like yeah. it well i mean i'm always a sucker for songs that um like allude to words they the writer knows will be dated in a matter of time like I love on Lana Del Rey's last record when she sings about dropping a pin. Like it's the mm. first time I've heard that. Like drop a pin to your location. Yeah. You know. And so I think like even the fact that he would incorporate something like that or in the next song when he's like email. Like yeah. I think the fact that he would do that, there's like a kind of lack of pretension to it. Especially for a band who's like one, super associated with the seventies, two has, makes music that like alludes to like old timey stuff you know it's there's like kind of a funny toying with how people see them that i appreciate yeah the well, next then, song where he does say email is my favorite song on the album and, and, yeah. and important also this is the one with the ref with the trump reference yes this, oh, is, this one yeah. actually has like interesting lyrics too in general it's like this weird kind of character sketch of a guy playing hooky and he ends up in Atlantic City and like falls in love but there's sort of this backdrop of like the pressures of his corporate life I don't know he just has this very vivid it's like a Cronenberg movie yeah but wouldn't you believe jtool.com has a Trump reference in it folks yes also the main theme of this song is almost exactly the same as the opening of Mike Oldfield's Tubular Bells, which is like famously the theme of The Exorcist. Is like the like every time it comes in, I'm like, oh, The Exorcist, but it's it's 
just jtall.com. Yeah, a little bit frame by frame, too. Now. Except you have a fucking flute. Email that girl who's working nights. She can dress down for this wind and rain. The, the sexual aspects of Ian Anderson's right, like there's there's always this weird kind of lust on the margins of these things. Yeah, that that's I, very real. And uh, I, I I was faced with it in so many songs on this record. Yeah, Ben's like a willow in particular. Ben's like a willow it's was sad. like I was just kind of freaked. Daddy likes. <laughs> Daddy. <laughs> Daddy sometimes gets embarrassed. You know, he gets. <laughs> Daddy was embarrassed by it. Mm-hmm. I felt I felt Daddy uncomfortable. Sometimes gets embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I don't. I don't. I don't know. I assume that Why you were referring to me when you said yeah, that. Yeah, that was a question to to Daddy here, me, and uh, yeah, yeah. Daddy doesn't like everything, you know. I don't know. I mean, you were talking about that dong on the album cover earlier. <laughs> yeah. Well, we like that, that Black Crows cover. We, so. All right. Daddy liked the dong. It's not like I haven't been embarrassed by the dong too. I'm a I'm a complicated guy. <laughs> Go on. Um, yeah. I tear it out. I'm I'm a complicated guy. I've had a hard week. I'm here talking about jtoll.com. We've had a hard yeah. week, yeah, and uh, we're complicated guys. And so these protagonists um, in jtoll.com we can relate to because um, you know. The internet gets us down, too. And, uh... He seems sort of excited by the internet to me. Well, he can feel the distance from others, I think. Which which one is this? This is Ben Like a Willow. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's the sexual energy. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of um, U2, Mysterious Ways, both in the lyrical content and the music. I also got a strong U2 feeling. We got two U2-y albums in a row. She's catching the wind, the gentlest of breezes. I mean, yeah, I'll say I feel like it's it comes out super lusty, but it's his attempt at writing like a love song, like something romantic, which I'm not totally sure is in his arsenal. She rises before me, reading me clearly, empty nest left breast in the pillow. She can shift, she can sway, and bend like a willow. Yeah, this is uh, just pretty reprehensible music to me. Like, I like... (laughs) 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 No way around that for me either. Sam loved it though, right? No, I didn't love it, but (laughs) I'm sympathetic, but it's bad. What do we make of... I was going to bring the conversation to a little song called Hot Mango Flush. Yeah, let's put that on. Yeah. Uh, this is a good example of if I would answer the question what do you like about this album with maybe something about this song just for the way it is so completely its own sort of weird self like it's not trying to be like relevant in any way it's him like doing this horrible poetry over like weird 
odd meter jazz fusion. Hot mango flush. But I hate that. Ladies with ice cream <laughs> Hot mango flush. Somehow when the hot mango flush dropped on the record, I admit uh, to feeling relieved. Something else, just something else to that ha- to happen. A little bit of um, straight up unfettered whimsy. Guitars kind of yeah. drop out. I'm just like, all right, this is strange, silly British man. Yes, doing a routine for silly. me. Really like, cut out the middleman. Get me straight to the Ren Fair. Take out the other shit. Mm. You know, I was I found myself puzzled and then it, uh, eventually positive about hot mango flush but what i did not like at all was the reprise of hot mango mm. flush which is called like hot mango surprise or yes. something like i think that. it's just mango surprise it's like you want more of this baby here it is which is like oh you didn't get enough of ian anderson saying hot mango flush, hot mango flush. <laughs> i mean it must have just felt good to say it like <laughs> it feels good for me flush. to say it I Why like, don't you say it once? Then? I prefer to say it alone. Hot mango flush. <laughs> Let's all say it. Is this? Can I? This is the kind of phrase I could use to make ASMR videos. Yeah. Hot mango flush. Mango I'm gonna make it my flush. password on all my accounts. That's good. No Hot one would ever mango guess it. Flush. Hot mango flush. Just really gross. Hot mango is a horrible combination of two words. And like flush makes me think that it's sort of poop being flushed down the toilet. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's a perfect segue. Sam. To what I like. What do you what do you just like on this album? I mean Okay. <laughs> this is it, huh? Like, I can get down with this. It's like the 90s version of what, like, every Jethro Tull album in the 70s had on it. Right. It doesn't sound embarrassing to me. <laughs> oh, this is weird with the names. Uh, hey, little buddies! What's the lyrics you hear? Um, <laughs> to me, that is embarrassing. What is it? Tabby spotted black as coal, serval Margie Cackerall, Moggle in the Moggle in the Moonlight Listens, Whiskered Sensory Miracle. Is this cats? <laughs> it it, does sound, kind of it sound sounds like, like exactly like the musical cats to me. Yeah. Egyptian okay, well, Mal, Frey is familiar. So, yeah, Jethro told does cats, Sam's into it. <laughs> All right, well, he's not fucking Leonard Cohen. It's like, it's a 90s Jethro Tull song. <laughs> Sam loves it. It's Sam's favorite shit of all time. All right. Okay. So, look, when it comes down to it, how do you evolve when you're a prog band? The bands who were good, what they did was they, like, reinvented themselves constantly. So you get King Crimson, who it's like every album, you have, like, a new vision of what this band can be. You know, which right. eventually leads them to being like in the 2000s, like on their last studio albums, like a kind of industrial 
you know, digital thing that doesn't sound much like them. If you're Genesis, you turn into a pop band. Like, what do you do if you're Jethro Tull? You know, it's like, for me, this album is kind of like a back-to-basics rock album from Jethro Tull after a ton of experiments. It's not going to blow people away. I don't think it's the one, you know, you want to start with, Andy. Um, but I don't, I don't think that... Um, I don't know where I'm going with this. <laughs> I just don't think I can defend it very hard. Well, other than you, saying it's back to yeah. basics, but it is engaging with um, the topics of the time, which it, it seems like throughout his career, he'd get these kind of narrative obsessions, which I find charming. Like in the, in the eighties, he was into like spies and espionage and that was kind of tight. So I was enjoying dabbling in that synth stuff. He would, there's one song where he's kind of doing like a private, eye, like hollow notes, private eyes almost. Um, I, I feel like, like there is sort of a spies and espionage undercurrent to the songs that I like the most here. Sort of maybe more implied, uh, like this guy flying around in his like executive airplane seats or whatever. Like there is this sort of sense of like high intrigue that I kind of like like about some of the songs on this album. The uh, album also engages with an important topic, climate change. Does right? it? And, yeah, uh, he says something about like the climate getting warmer at one point. Well, El Nino, the song. There's a song oh, called right. El, song Nino, El Nino, which I was such a big uh, fixation. I remember, uh, you know, at the time in the late in the late '90s, and uh, it freaked me out as a kid. I remember. Um, so this is a real relic of the time. I feel like El Nino fear. As one wet merchants turn their eyes towards the west. <laughs> El Nino really leaning into the Spanish aspect. As if in dire consequence. Raising fish to fry fail to yeah well this is you know, not exactly what i think of when i think of the destructive power of mother earth and stuff but nonetheless he's engaging with the issues of the day and i do think we can give him a little bit of credit for being prescient at least mm -hmm. in some moments like in that song a wall when he's sketching a moment sketching a scene of like a man running away from work to like go have a little love affair or something i think it says something that the backdrop he chose chose to set their like tryst against is like atlantic city and the trump tower specifically mm -hmm. or the trump casino like i feel like there is a sort of scene setting of the late 90s where he's like pulling out elements of the era that do like it feels like he pulled some of the right stuff to to sort of make resonant we could hardly hear any of that i heard you call it resonant but yeah. resonant, so. it ended with resonant <laughs> mm. well it's also prescient in that i'm on this zoom call with you guys right now and struggling yeah. to connect with you through the internet because my wi-fi is bad this is about this is about 56k dial-up quality andy exactly yeah little did he know that 
uh, 20 years later, right. people would be discussing it over failing internet. Can I just totally. quickly, again, take advantage of the fact that we're doing this taping so near to airtime and say, can you believe about this Trump guy, how much he paid in taxes? So little. Yeah. It's the $750. What a... Uh, speaking of what political a stuff... Nincompoop. <laughs> Another political thing about Jay told that was in the news was like I like Ian Anderson was like really mad that people had made Jethro Tull face masks at the beginning of COVID mm. and he was like I just want to say these are not licensed why was he mad is he a big intellectual property kind of guy yeah which maybe we should watch out for with this episode <laughs> but um, he was I, I don't know if he was anti-mask because he also said something about he's planning to do like like gigs like he really wants to do shows again or if he was just being like don't put our logo on things fuck he's like he might be like van secretly yeah i don't know what's going on over there real quick before we get into you know what kind of stamp we're gonna put on this shit i would like to talk about wicked windows i think that might be the most topically fascinating one on here Um, we should also talk about the hidden track at some point oh yeah and the website itself Right. What? Right. Let's. Okay. So one. That's a one, two, three that we need to get into. We yeah. can all lead the segment. Boom, boom. Boom. Okay. So let's hear a little wicked windows. Through wicked windows, framed in silver and hung in toughened glass. Upon my face, around and over, now and then. So that there, he's really just describing his reading glasses. I don't know this stuff about men who love me. Some of the lyrics suggest he's like looking at, you know, Facebook, but of course he wouldn't be looking at Facebook. Like looking at pictures of old friends. Um, This is a good moment of this album musically, I think. I think fans fans like this one. I think fans like Wicked Windows. And I would say that it's, it's maybe the best song. Anyway, yeah, he, so this is a great late era album just because he wrote a song about reading glasses, uh, you know, and how the internet is crazy. You like that one, Sam? I do, yeah. Yeah. I like the allusion to Christmas time in the chorus, which is a Jethro Tull classic, a lot of Christmas in their songs. Well, importantly, what's their next album after this? Jethro told Christmas album. Is it their album. Christmas yeah, album? That's yeah. A, so this is their last original uh, songs album, and then they make a Christmas album in 2003. Pretty, it's a Chicago style move again. Some it is. Chicago-esque stuff going on here. True. Yeah. There's something festive about Jethro Tull's music. I. Tis a Yuletide. Tis a Yuletide quality. <laughs> Tis a Yuletide quality about it. <laughs> it's like the kind of shit that you like, right, Sam? Because you like this stuff. It's all like... <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that uh, delighted me, actually. <laughs> all right, Andy, what did you want to talk about? <laughs> oh, so I wanted to just talk about jtall.com itself, the website, uh-huh. uh, which, you know, as with any website on the internet, you can go to a little other website called archive.org and pull up sort of the old version of of what 
you know, what you might have seen if the year was 1999, you just bought the new album by your favorite band and you want to know what this whole internet thing is all about, you go to jtall.com. There's a photo of the band where one member has like a a little spinning bow tie gif that has been superimposed on him in a very cheeky way it's funny because if you toggle through different versions of the website it's like in october 1999 it was just a normal photo of them and in november 1999 the spinning bow tie gif has been added so i love thinking about them adding that particular (laughs) update to the website otherwise it's like this super funny charming sort of geocities-esque thing where there's like a section of links that you might be interested in one of the subheadings on that page is chili pepper related sites in case you are interested in chili peppers and you want to get your info from from jethro tall there's another subtitle cat related sites there you uh, go see one of which features a page on ian anderson and his cats there Uh, there you go well that ties into oh no that's never mind ties into what okay cut that no Um, yeah, check it out. If you're into jtoll.com, you got to visit the website. What can I say? It's a funny relic of its era. That's all I got. Tis a rock. Well, thank you so much for that, Andy. And thank you for that, Winston. <laughs> <laughs> I, so there's, then there's this bonus track we're going to talk about. And I thought that it was, for a minute, I, I was thinking it was the secret life of cats, but it's the secret life of birds. And right. bo- AKA birds. Slob, S-L-O-B. Okay. Yes. Those are the those are the letters. <laughs> oh yeah, there are on the on jtall.com there's a whole section about slob tour dates. I didn't connect it to being Secret Life of Birds. This is Ian Anderson's solo album, which he teases at the end of jtoll.com. Yeah. In this in the classic style of a turn of the two thousands hidden track vibe. So let's hear what he has to say. Hello, this is Ian Anderson. Congratulations, you have happened upon a bonus track on this edition of the new Tell Record. It's a preview Delightful. of the title track from my solo album, The Secret Language of Birds. Tweet, 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 tweet. <laughs> See you in the morning. Watcha. Put on me wellies. Maybe The Secret Language <laughs> of Birds has to do with Twitter. Because he's like, tweet, tweet. He's seeing into the future. It's a little, on, a little on the nose, Andy. <laughs> No, I think Andy's spot on. If I was in like Thank a you, English class or some sort of, you know, music appreciation class and you said that, I would say no, that's incorrect. All right, well, <laughs> sounds like just the kind of uh, perspective. Well, fair enough. <laughs> conversation people come to a podcast like this for. Yeah, <laughs> I'm looking for uh, edu- ed- educator work, so. All right, should we hit Fantasies and Deluge? I think we should. F's and D's. Perhaps you know by now as a listener that we close each episode with a segment called Fantasy or Delusion, where we judge each album according to the metric of whether it's a fantasy or a delusion. This, of course, is a reference to an album that we'll be tackling on the show eventually called Fantasies and Delusions by Billy Joel, yada, yada, yada. You know the drill at this point. We've been here before. It's time to talk about weatherjtall.com is a fantasy or a delusion. Uh, I'll go first. Sad to say it's a delusion. I really kind of want to like this album. I, I, 
I love the fact that it exists. I love that Jay Tall are not trying to be anything other than themselves. There's not the slightest hint of pandering to a trend. Uh, you get the sense that Ian Anderson is really actually fascinated by the internet and wants to talk about it in his songs. Uh, musically, they're just on their own weird flute, hard rock, prog folk wavelength. Uh, I don't feel like there's any reason for this album to exist other than that they wanted to make it. I'm saying all this positive things about it, but the fact is I'm never going to listen to it again. The music fucking sucks for the most part. Mm. Uh, I'm abstractly interested in it, pragmatically not at all interested in listening to it ever again. So I, I, I have to reluctantly call it a delusion. Hmm. Um, yeah, Tough Love, it is my first delusion wow. that I'm giving. And it's not because I don't like Jethro Tull, and it's not because I think it, they shouldn't have made this album or it's a disaster, but it's because I think Jethro Tull is a band worth revisiting and reconsidering, and I don't recommend this album to people who want to do that. Um, you know, we could make fun of them all day, Lord knows uh, some of us here tried to do that. <laughs> what are you it's not what I'm about. What are you talking about? I'm in this for the love. All the love in the world to Jay Toll. Um, what, what would you yeah. recommend listeners get started with? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I mean, like I said earlier, for most people, all you need is like the hits. Get any of their comps. If you're trying for a deep dive, Thick as a Brick is uh, a romp. A romp? is a good time uh, if you're looking for a deep cut maybe go for songs from the wood i love that um, title yeah. no bullshit and straight to the point yeah so yeah giving it a d a deluge mm -hmm. yeah well it's a certainly a delusion for me i um I'll say a couple of simple things. One certainly doesn't live up to the, the majesty of that cover. That has been a big part of my life for, I feel like it's been like a couple it's of years. It's been years at this now, point since yeah. we've started talking about it. And it's just been like constantly like in my photos on my phone or on my desktop for easy access that I can just send it to somebody and be like, look at this. But then when I had to actually come and listen to it, maybe, maybe nothing could have lived up to it. Um, given how much space it assumed in my brain. But um, this cer certainly did not. I did. I, I was sort of fascinated by the kind of narrative aspects of the first few tracks, but I really find it, it's a hard type of thing. I, and I'm not a, a prog, I'm not like anti kind of prog or theatrical mu music of a, of a certain sort that this might be adjacent to. Um, but... I just really had a hard time listening to Jethro Tull. Even when I was going back and listening to old albums, I was like, this is not the vibe. This is not the man I, I want to let into my home in COVID. I don't want to, you yeah. know, I don't want to, I don't want to consort with this, this wood, wood, uh, not a wood nymph, uh, a woodman, a woodsman, uh, a, a sprite, <laughs> an, a, an, elder, an elderly sprite of the wood. It's not, I don't want this guy in my apartment. That's how I was feeling. And I get that he's good at the flute, but you know, <laughs> you, you're overcomp. He's overcompensating at this point in the 2000s with the flute. 
I get what you can go. You can do the extended technique. Miss me with that, man. I'll go to a new music concert if I want to see that stuff. I don't need that over the canned guitars. You know, ay ay ay, pal. Come on. That's my New York energy against his whimsical British energy force field coming up against it. So sorry, till sorry, Ian. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, that was our guest, Robert Christgau. <laughs> <laughs> I'm feeling punchy and mean tonight. Fuck you, Ian Anderson. And fuck, t- fuck the haters of us. That was a virtuosic uh, fantasies and delusions uh, spiel, yeah. Winston. I think that was that was just, unreal. That was great stuff. I'm, Thanks. I'm I, shaking. Right I blacked now. out. I don't remember what I said, but I'm sure it was brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> Is that it, folks? Did we actually finally talk about JTill.com? Our white whale. Well, that's not really our white whale. It's one of them. I think there are two more. Yeah. Honkin on Bobo and Fantasies and Delusions. Delusions. Yeah. Big ones. But Sam, what are we talking about next time? Well, this episode was a nightmare for me. Uh, I'm going to try to redeem myself next time. Uh, We'll be talking about Aerosmith drummer Joey Kramer and his 2006 collection of children's music, Me and My Friend the Ostrich. <laughs> That's going to be really, really good. Sounds heartwarming. Yeah. It is. It was also, it'll be fun to talk about a failed um, tie-in with a water park. It's kind of mm. cool. Mm. A yes. A yes. Well, I can't wait to dip our toes into that one. Ooh, mm. la la. <laughs> this is a new catchphrase. <laughs> Ooh la la! <laughs> That's sort of an Ian Anderson-esque reaction. Uh, I you was can imagine to, him saying, Ooh, la, "I was la. trying to be more French to counteract the British thing." Oh, okay. Oh man, it's been a night, hasn't it, folks? Yeah, it's been a I, week. It's been. A I'm night. gonna need some time to recover from all of this. I haven't even begun processing. <laughs> yeah, it. I feel like uh, I need to get unplugged from the Matrix. I need to get the thing pulled out of the back of my head. And then, yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you. Bye bye. Oh, bye bye. Like this, like they say in the Matrix, famously. <laughs> oh, bye bye. Morpheus. Morpheus. Oh, Mor- Morpheus played by Nick Swardson. Okay. I hope my recording device <laughs> failed I, <laughs> during this thing. I, I really, really do. I hope no one ever hears this. <laughs> we love you guys. Thanks for being a yeah. late era listener, and and uh, you get us through it. And uh, oh, what's that? If you have a van, a late van album you'd like to hear us talk about, maybe hit us up in, in the Twitter comments and and let us know, and maybe we'll send out an official poll or something like that. But remember, uh, we're internally grateful to Osiris Media for sponsoring this podcast through thick and thin, but we're also so grateful for Grady's Cold Brew, um, our favorite cold coffee drink, um, New Orleans style, made in the Bronx. Remember, if you go to Grady'sColdBrew.com, sample their products, and you can get 20% off your first order with the code LATEERA20. That's LATEERA20. So check it out, Grady'sColdBrew.com. Thank you all again for listening. We love you. Until next time. Late Era is hosted by Andy Cush, Sam Sadomsky, and Winston Cook-Wilson. It is edited and produced by Winston Cook-Wilson. 
The executive producers of Late Era are Brian Brinkman and RJB. Logo design by Liz B. Art and Design. Late Era is a part of Osiris Media.